0: let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We thank you that you are in this place and in every place. Help us hear again this day your good word of freedom for all your people all around the world. In Jesus' name. And all who agree say amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from Galatians, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. Uh, We're going to read from chapter two. Let's share in God's good word together. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Most people think their lives are about them. They're not. Life is not about you. But you are a part of a much bigger whole. You are not your own. The creator of the universe lives inside you. Mind blown. God himself. Up until about 500 years ago, we earthbound humans thought that we were literally the center of the universe. But in 1543, Polish astronomer Nicholas Copernicus questioned that idea that the earth was the center of the universe. But he couldn't prove it. Less than 100 years later, in 1632, Galileo published a book stating that Copernicus was correct. Father Richard Rohr wrote, It was unimaginable, and the church condemned poor Galileo as a heretic for imagining it. To know that your life is not about you is a major and monumental shift in consciousness, and it is always given and received with major difficulty. Understanding that your life is not about you is the connection point with everything else. When you realize that you don't have to be God, it is an enormous weight off your back. All you have to do is participate. Today, we come to your life is not about you. So as a way of introduction, we have a comfort crisis. Um, If you'll say that with me, we have a comfort crisis. Michael Easter, in his book of the same name, says it like this. He says, we are living progressively sheltered, sterile, temperature controlled, overfed, under challenged, safety netted lives. And so our problem is that we, there's a problem with that. The more comfortable you are, the things like obesity and diabetes and heart problems, because we're not moving our bodies, we are looking for a life of ease. It also has some spiritual ramifications as well. So one of the reasons that we struggle with it so much is over time, unlike cultures that have gone before us, we've lost the practice of initiating young people into the five lessons or hard truths of life. And so over the last few weeks we've been looking at this and the first lesson, lesson one, is that life is hard. Life is hard but we will find rest for our souls if we follow Jesus in doing God's will. And so when it comes to pain, when it comes to ease of life, we need to teach our young people not to run from pain. It, it's, it, it's our natural inclination, of course, fight or flight when there's pain, when there's unease, but we have to learn how to stay with it because if we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it in some form. Um, this is Father Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan monk, and we're uh, using him as one of our uh, sources for this sermon series. So that was week one. Uh, Week two was lesson two, and that is that you're not that important. Will you say that with me? You're not that important, but but your name is written in heaven by God Almighty, and that makes you very important and something that nobody can take from you. Father Rohr says it like this, your importance is given and bestowed in this universe, which is the unbreakable covenant between you and your creator. You are declared important. God declares you important. You cannot declare yourself important important. You know what else? You can't declare yourself unimportant because God says that you are and that's good news. When we are transformed, when our pain is transformed, God does miracles because transformed people tend to transform people. And you know this to be true. Some of the people that are most important in your life are people that you've looked at. You looked at their life and they've been transformed. You've seen the way they used to be and you see how they are now and it's just a beautiful thing. You can't even imagine What was it that did that? And so we come to today, our third lesson. And in one of the best selling books of all time, the opening line is this It's not about you. It's not about you. Uh, Rick Warren uh, in The Purpose Driven Life, this is what he says It's not about you. It's not about you. If you're uh, worshiping with somebody right now, you might just turn and look at them and say, It's not about you. And that is true. But that's okay because it is about God. And, and part of this idea of it's not about you is really about maturing, about growing up. Think of it like this. Children care about themselves. Adults care for others. Let me say that again. Children care about themselves, but adults, well, we care for others. That's what we're made for. That's why adults are the ones that are to have children. Children aren't to have children. Adults are to have children. Because children, well, until we grow up, we're just going to care about ourselves and our comfort and our ease. But as we mature in Christ, we're taught and we learn and we rejoice in serving others. And of course, when we see it in the world, whether it's in a religious sense or whether it's in a larger sense that blesses the world, we celebrate that. I want you to see this old guy right here. He's working for Habitat for Humanity. You would never know unless you happen to know that that's our former president, Jimmy Carter. Many people would say he may have done more with his life post-presidency, maybe better known around the world now than ever before. He continues to serve others. He continues to serve God. You'll know this name, Mother Teresa. Again, people look at her life. They listen to what she says, not because she's a scholar, but because her life proves what she says. We say often around here that people may not believe what you say, but they will believe what you do. And after Mother Teresa's life, And they saw what she did over and over and over again, particularly for the people of Calcutta. She had power and authority, not by a title, but by the power of her life, the power of her love for others. About the same time that she died, Princess Diana also passed away. And while many princesses would do um, coronations and those things, and she could do that as well, What I remember Princess Diana for is her incredible work in Angola and in Bosnia, caring for the children and making places safe that used to be places of terror. We remember these people because they serve others, because they bless others, because they have a life that's bigger than themselves, bigger than their titles, bigger than their degrees. So Father Rohr says it like this. All truly great persons I've ever met are characterized by what I would call radical humility. They are deeply convinced that they are drawing from another source. They are an instrument. They don't worry too much about their failures, nor do they need to promote themselves. Their life is not their own. Yet at some level, they know that it has been given to them as a sacred trust. And we can see this in President Carter and Mother Teresa and Princess Diana but we are also surrounded by people who have gained these lessons that have wisdom to share with us. One of those people, as a member of our church, Jenny Herzberger, had the opportunity to visit with her, and so I want to share that interview with you now. Well, I wanted to introduce Jenny Herzberger to you. Uh, Jenny, I've been friends for more than 10 years now. Um, It's great being your pastor, being a friend with you and Alan and your family. And I asked Jenny to be with us because... Um, week one was life is hard, and um, about well almost ten years ago now, uh, you found that out in really dramatic ways. Can you tell us a little bit about that
1: Yeah, um, in September of two thousand and twelve, I was six months into a new job. I had left a job that I had been in for eleven years and made a big leap and six months in and got diagnosed with breast cancer. I had no family history or anything. Um, but because of my age it became the full gamut of treatment so um, mastectomy double I did double mastectomy uh, chemo radiation and then a lot of surgeries that kind of came after that Um, but yeah the kids were five seven and eleven at the time so kindergarten and up and So it's a big change for everybody. There's a lot of, you know, people having to come in our lives and and help and support during that time. Um, So the kids went through a lot. So it was, it was a challenging time.
0: How did that change your perspective of you kind of had life before then and then life after then?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think before then, we were really wrapped up in work and getting kids to activities and it was just kind of the chaos that happens with just parenthood and um it this just forced everything to slow down and um because we couldn't we just physically we we wound up going to texas to houston for a lot of my treatment and we just couldn't be there and so um everyone's dialed back on the activities And uh, everything started to calm down a little bit more. And I think that was uh, one thing that kind of came out is that we slowed our lives down. And then once we got through, I mean, I think it was probably three years of before things really started to settle down with surgeries being done, um, that we could actually catch our breath. And I think since then, um, we did, I think, kind of get back into the rat race of the craziness for a little while. Um, But... I think since then we've done a better job of like slowing down and really being more intentional around what we choose to do and where we choose to spend our time.
0: So week two was you're not that important. You're important to God, but you're not that important. And you were telling me before that in 2018, that really came into clear focus for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think with a, a cancer diagnosis or any big probably you know, crisis that happens in your life. I think you can find treasures within that. And so I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but I think one of the benefits that people who have gone through that this have is just a change of perspective of life of what's really important. And um, you kind of have this new filter to run everything through. Like when you are faced with mortality and asking the question of whether you're going to make it to your kid's graduation or your kid's marriage or your kid's, you know, having kids, it's, it is life changing. It changes your whole changes you. And so I think that was a big, um, wake up call for me. But then I also think I didn't know what to do with it because while your perspective changes, like the whole world doesn't change. And so you're still being asked to, you know, be a part of that rat race really. And so I didn't do anything for about six years. And then in June of 2018, um, my my last ovary that I had, uh, started I started having a lot of problems with it. And so I went to the doctor and they referred me out to an a oncologist, which God bless oncologists for what they do, but you don't really ever want to be referred to an oncologist. Um, so I went and saw him. He did tests and scans and just basically told us that there's too many red flags here for us to not Explore further. So we immediately scheduled exploratory surgery to see what if it was cancer, basically. And I think like at that point, I was just pretty devastated because it had been six years. I knew I should have changed things, and I didn't. And so um, so I woke up from that surgery, and the first thing I remember like being super groggy, but like wanting Alan to tell me, was it cancer, was it not? And it wasn't. Um but I think that was kind thank of God with you for that. Yeah, 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 for sure. But I think, you know, I, I had that perspective change. I didn't do anything for six years. And I think God just kind of gave me a swift little kick in the pants to, to go do something with it. And and so, um, you know, from there, I I think my next my goal moving forward was how do I live a life that when I do get to my deathbed, whether that's tomorrow or 50 years from now. Hopefully, 50 years from now, that I'm not, I don't have regrets about having not done what I should have done or lived life the way I should have lived it. And so it, it kind of that was my turning point. Yeah.
0: So, so this week is it's not about you, right? Life's not about you, um, but but that you're a part of something bigger, right? right. And we're gonna, we're talking about that today in the sermon. Um, so with that how well, I'll, I'll speak for myself you and i went to guatemala last december um which i was a little surprised about because y- you know you're executive vice president of a major company here in oklahoma city you've got lots of responsibilities and you're a cancer survivor so not everything in your body works as easily as some yeah. I would be fair to say yeah. and so i found it rather remarkable that you went in december and then you just got back from going again in June with your daughter, and so what? What has shifted for you? Do you think, or what do you think you're a part of?
1: For me, when when it came to what am I going to do to to live a a life that I'm proud of, um, that I can look back and say, yeah, I I did what God wanted me to do. You know, um, that is, you know, God calls us to love people and to help people and care for people. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in the busyness of life that you just don't make time for that. And you don't, and it, and it's all scary, you know, like there's, there's lots of different kinds of hard. There's, you know, the hard that comes to you in your life where it's, um, you don't have a choice. So, you know, and it's death in the family or a cancer diagnosis, things like that. But there's also, Hard that, you know, is you don't know what's around the corner. You're having to make a decision. You get a choice and you don't know what your choice is going to lead to. And that's really scary. And then there's like hard that, you know, you're doing good. You know, you're doing the right thing. And and to me, that's an easier hard to make a decision around. But I think you can get wrapped up in life so much that you don't even make those decisions, you you know. And, And so... Um, Going to Guatemala was important to me. I'd wanted to for a long time, and just never pulled the trigger. And part of it was time. Part of it was fear. Um, I mean, I didn't want to get sick. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Really, Uh, I don't speak Spanish fluently. Uh, I barely understand a little bit of it. So there's that. But also. you know, COVID was happening. I didn't want to get stuck over there and sure. not be able to get back. So there's a lot of fear pieces, but I think um, for me, like being able to, you talked about surrendering um, a couple of weeks ago and being able to surrender in that instance is to be able to say like, I know I'm doing the, I'm doing good. I'm putting, I'm, I'm helping These people learn about God through the actions that, you know, we're coming to this village and um, drilling and teaching and and, um, there's what could go wrong. You know, like God has to have me if I'm going to do if I'm doing that. So it's easier for me to like go through that um, scary decision or that do that hard thing, you know but it's important to me because I think those are the things that when you look back, it's, you know, did you get a promotion or did you get that project done on time? And I mean, all that's important, but, um, but did you actually like make a difference in people's lives? Did you care for people? Did you show them God's love? Like that's different, a different level of importance, you know? So,
0: Thank you so much for talking with us. We love you. We love your family. We're proud of you. And um, I can't wait to see, Uh, what else God's going to do with us in in the future because we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Thanks. Thanks. So I hope you'll be praying for Jenny and her family these coming days as she continues uh, to be a part of something much bigger than herself. I love the way John Tyson puts it. He says, we are a tiny little part of a very big story. And it's been my joy to be a tiny part of Jenny's story. Uh, She's a part of my story. We're a part of your story. Uh, You're a part of our story and, and on and on and on. Yes, you and I, we are a part, just a tiny little part of a big, big story. So today, as we look at this lesson three, your life is not about you, but your life is a part of something much bigger and unending. You're no longer just here for a bit and then gone. You are a spiritual, eternal being. And as Dallas Willard says, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's good news. And because we are a part of this greater reality in heaven, we are to live, live differently here on earth. No longer do we live like other people live. You know, he who dies with the most toys wins. No, we are not going to die. And so we don't need to be worried about toys. We can live for something different, something greater, something better. So the Bible says this in Luke 14. Jesus said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon, now notice he's saying when you do it, not like other people do it. Jesus knows how other people give luncheons and do that. But he says, no, no. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case that they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, not right, it's not when everybody gives, but no, when you, my followers, give a banquet, invite the poor, The crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, you are part of something greater, something bigger, something unending. And so you can live differently. And Jesus tells us how to do it. Jesus describes this larger life as a banquet, as a beautiful banquet that's open to everyone. And we recount this, we represent this each and every week at communion. Um, but this metaphor is a warning for Jesus' followers not to get distracted with our own worries. And you'll notice in the story here in just a minute that the things that we get distracted by, they in, in themselves, they aren't necessarily bad things, but they're not to take our eyes away from what God is doing. So again, in Luke 14, it says this. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make what? Excuses. They haven't even seen the dinner. They don't even know what they're missing. And that's the way we are today. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of land. Is there anything wrong with land? No, of course not. And I must go out and see it. Please accept my, 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 my regrets. Well, yes, there is a problem if you care more about your land than you do about the one who makes the land. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. Anything wrong with oxen? No, of course not. And I'm going to try them out. So he's going to put the maker of the banquet behind his animals. Please accept my regrets. And another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. Anything wrong with marriage? No, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But if your marriage is above God, it's not going to work out right. It's God teaches us how to love one another and not the other way around. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. The very thing that Jesus had just said to do. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done. And there is still room. And that's the great news, friends. There is still room for you, still room for your friends, still room for everyone that you know. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. That's what God wants. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner, not because God's mad at them, but because their priorities are all messed up. They care more about their land and their oxen and their marriage than they do about being part of something even bigger than those things. Father Rohr says it like this. God chooses us into existence and decides for us every minute or we would fall into non-being. We could just stop there. Mind blown. Right. God chooses us into existence and decides for us every minute or we would fall into non-being. We are forever included forever included, friends. And Jesus' metaphor for that realization is a wedding banquet to which nobody wants to come. God, poor God, has a very hard time giving away God himself. God's trying to bless everyone. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to bless everyone that you know, always. But until we lay down our self-importance, we remain blinded to the free banquet that surrounds us. God is working all around us all the time. There's more than enough for everyone. But we have to get our own agenda off the table so we can see what God is doing. When Paul writes to the early church in Galatia, he says it like this, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh My natural abilities. I live by faith in the son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is a relationship of love, one that you cannot do on your own, that you need Jesus to live inside of you to be able to do this. If you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need Jesus. And so Paul says, let's make make sure we get this straight. It's not about his doing or your or my doing. It is about God's love and our response to that love. So Paul's union with Christ does not destroy his own personality. No, Paul is very much Paul uh, before he meets Jesus and after he meets Jesus. But his love and his attention is turned. But he's still Paul. And it sustains and molds him, Jesus does. And sometimes people are afraid that if they follow Jesus, they'll completely lose, lose themselves and not be their essence anymore. No, God wants you to become who he's created you to be all along. To restore what was meant for you all along, and it's good. To the early church in Colossae, Paul writes, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Notice that you're still with Christ. Christ. It's not that Christ replaces you, it's that he lives in you and you will be revealed with him in glory. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, what are we to do? Forgive each other. These are the marks of people who are being transformed by Christ. These are the marks of the things of how we know Christ lives in someone when we see these things exhibited in their life, not through their gritted teeth and their struggling, but because that's who they are now. You and I, we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. We are part of the body of Christ, the church where we belong each and every one of us to each and every one of us. Father Rohr says it like this, your life is precisely about you But now you know who you really are, and you can hold this fire without burning up and burning out. So which is it? Is it that it's not about you, or is it that it is precisely about you? Both. It is not about you and your agenda or anybody else's agenda for you. It is about how God has made you wonderfully, beautifully, and has a purpose for your life. Because you know who you really are, an eternal being in the heavens, in this life and the next, a being of love and of grace and forgiveness for the very transformation of the world. That's who you're created to be. St. Irenaeus would say it like this, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. God's not trying to replace you. He's trying to redeem you, to help you be all that he created you to be in the first place. From Irenaeus all the way to Rick Warren. He, Rick Warren says it like this, the purpose of your life fits into a much larger cosmic purpose that God has designed for eternity. One of the things I love about when God speaks, he speaks to everyone. And you see these patterns, whether it is ancient Catholics uh, or modern day Baptists and all the places in between, God has a purpose for you. And in all those places, we learn and are reminded by Christ that there's something much bigger going on than whatever you're going through in this moment. Yes, we are made for one another, to love one another, as God's plan to bless the world. And you'll notice, friends, that's God's only plan for the world. That Christ would come, that we would know his love, and then we would share that love with others. In the book of Romans, it says this, For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body... All of us, one body. We have many members and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are what? Say it with me. One body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. You see this theme over and over and over through the Bible. I have a friend I met in my doctoral program um, and every once in a while, I'll come across quotes that she writes that really stick with me and I hope this will be helpful to you. Uh, This week, she wrote this. Connection... Determines direction Connection determines direction Whoever or whatever you are Most connected to Will determine the direction of your life And so it's, it's everything we've been talking about You can either be connected to the things of this world Your land, your ox, your marriages, your relationships Or You can be connected to God And what he wants you to do With your land, with your oxen And in your marriage and in your relationships Connection determines direction And so this week, as you go through this holiday weekend, I hope you travel safe and bless people, and particularly this weekend that's to remind us of freedom, you now have the freedom to live differently and to bless someone this holiday weekend in a tangible way who is not your family, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the hungry, the thirsty, someone that you come across this week, when you see someone in need, bless them, do something to make the world better. To remind the world that we, you and I, and all God's people here, we are people that last forever for heaven, both later and right here on this earth right now for the very transformation of the world. I hope you'll join me. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven